If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John about literary dependence and the synoptic problem. This is looking at the process by which the Gospel authors went about writing the Gospel books. Given that the Gospel books are so similar, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it raises the questions such as, do they copy each other? Are the similarities due to the divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit? What do the evangelical scholars say about this? Is there something wrong with their approach? John will be looking to answer these questions and more. We're continuing from the previous episode today. We hope you enjoy! The imbalance between the description of the early years and the final days. This is supposed to be a characteristic of Greco-Roman bioi. What do you think of that one? Well, probably in most in the lives of most people who are exciting enough to bother to write a biography of that person, probably the person did more things or had more things happen to him in his final days than when he was a child. Exactly, exactly. If we were going to write a biography of, say, Winston Churchill today, we probably would talk about his childhood, his growing years, though the main focus would be on his, his role as a correspondent during the Boer War and then his, his role in the Admiralty in World War I and then especially focusing on his leadership during World War II. But one of the things you have to remember is in the ancient world, they didn't have a publishing industry the way we do. All books were handwritten and they were written on scrolls. And scrolls had a maximum length. And I think we've talked about this before. And So one scroll would pretty well hold the entire gospel according to Luke, which is the longest of the gospel books. We had a little bit more room left over. But here's the thing. When you were writing books in those days, you really had to control your length. So oh, Why not just scroll. use two scrolls? Well, you could use two scrolls. Scrolls tended to be expensive. It's more difficult to carry two around. Sometimes it would be done. If, if you're going to have the entire Old Testament, for example, it would be done on multiple scrolls. But generally, writers tried to stick to one scroll where they could. So if you're going to have to cut out certain things, books are also very expensive. It's, it's, if you want people to be able to afford one scroll, it's going to be much more difficult for them to afford two scrolls. But the point is, if you're going to be selective, and they are, you remember John gave his reason for writing his book. Remember what that was? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. So obviously, this is what he's going to focus on. He, he has no reason, nor do any of the gospel writers, to go into a lot of detail about Jesus' childhood. Luke mentions it in passing. But the interesting stuff, the significant stuff, the stuff that's going to make you believe is what happened after he started his public ministry. So, of course, you're going to expect that in the gospel books. Oh, in the case of the gospel books, I, I would think that the writers would just, they're writing what God inspired them to write, not thinking about 
saving space on the scroll, right? Well, perhaps, but then even when God is inspiring them, he's God is inspiring these books for a reason. That that stated reason that John put in his book, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's intent in the gospel books, isn't it? Yes. The next, number four, supposed to summarize, being written as a continuous prose narrative. Well, gee, do they expect a biography to suddenly turn into poetry? So far, all these points sound like something that anybody writing a biography to do, even today's biographies, not Greco-Roman only. I would think these, so far, these are trivial, much more than significant similarities. The combination of stories and sayings. Well, technically, isn't every event that happened to the character a story? And, and yeah, you you write down what he said. So so what? Exactly. If, if you're trying to get people to believe in him, you want people to know what he said. Of course, that's going to be in there. We're writing a biography of Churchill today. Do you think we might include some of his famous speeches? Of course. So again, I'm not seeing the overwhelming similarity here. The last point here is displaying the subject's character through what he says and does rather than through plain statements by the author. Isn't that what any good writer does? Yes, you would think so. But here's the thing about biographies. You're telling what the person said and did. You might make comments about him like, oh, he was a good person or he was a wise person or he was a smart person or he, he grew in favor with with God and men. Well, there are a few comments like that in the gospel books, but mostly it's talking about what he did. But that's how any good biography would be written. Not even just good biography, even other other genres like a, a good novel. You don't just say, oh, so-and-so was a nasty person. You you see it through what the person did. So that's, that's something that's not even just, not, not only not unique to Greco-Roman B-Oi, but not unique to biographies at all. Yes, this is what people want to know, what the person said and what he did. We're not just looking for the personal opinion of the writer on this topic. So, again, this this is what you would expect. If people are taking pen to paper and in order to write a gospel book, write a book that's intended to get people to believe in Jesus, you have to tell them what Jesus said, what he did. That's what they wrote. So out of these similarities, out of these similarities, any of these that you would consider to be significant or persuasive, that these are actually Greco-Roman bioi? No, it almost seems like a joke. Where, where did these points come from anyway? Scholars. Richard Burge, as I said, was the one who wrote the book that, that seemed to tip people into the view. This, this list, I think, list comes, I think, from Michael Lacona. It's interesting, Acts of the Apostles starts out with Luke's writing this. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. The account of what he, Jesus both did and taught. Well, yes, that's, that's what a gospel book does. If Greco-Roman bioi include combinations of stories and sayings, well, that would seem to me to be a pretty trivial similarity, isn't it? Yes. What if we took these all together? Would it then become significant? No, because every one of them it seems to be something that would be found in any biography. Yeah, it seems to me like six times zero is still zero. Or let me come at it this way. How would it be different 
If the writers decided they just wanted to tell the story of Jesus so people would know and believe, how would it be different? Well, it wouldn't. Exactly. The elephant in the room, the one thing they're not including here, is Krakoro and Bioi made up stuff and got things wrong. Is that a similarity with the, do the gospel books show that? We would say no. So for some reason, the most important similarity is not on the list. Maybe it's in the list of differences. It won't be in the list of differences because this is a list of similarities. Try to convince you that the gospel books are Greco-Roman Bioi. So that's, that one's kind of held in abeyance until A, you come to the acceptance that the gospel books are Greco-Roman Bioi, and then B, they'll spring that on you and say, look, <laughs> they're Greco-Roman Bioi. And, oh, here's another characteristic of them. They had they had fictionalized stuff, and they had errors in them. And then there's the flip side of the coin as well, and this is crucial. If you want to argue the Greco-Roman Bioi style is what the gospel writers used, in fairness, you have to look not at just the similarities, but at the differences. How do the differences compare to the similarities? That one doesn't tend to come up. Due diligence would say, yes, it should come up. There's this classic scholar named Matthew Ferguson. I think he's an atheist. But again, we have to go by the facts. And, and he is an expert in these things. And he points out significant differences between Greco-Roman Bioi and the Gospel books. Number one, he says, discussion of methodology and sources. Ancient historical works at their beginning or somewhere else within the body of the narrative are often prefaced with statements from the author about the period they will be investigating the methodology they will be using, and the types of sources they will be discussing. None of the Gospels, with the exception of a very brief statement at the beginning of Luke, even come close to following this convention. Number two, internally addressed and analyzed contradictions among traditions. Well, here, you know, we could say the Gospel books don't actually have traditions, so there's nothing to analyze here, and they're not based on traditions. But that is a difference. Number three, authorial presence in their narrative. In Greco-Roman Bioi, authors often have, quote, active roles in the narrative as historians who are interjecting to discuss their sources and relation to events. Even among ancient historical works in which the author does not specifically give his name in the narrative, historians very frequently discuss the relation they have to the events they are analyzing. Do we have that in the gospel books? Well, aren't there references, for example, to the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's supposed to be John himself? Yes, John does do that. If you like that, or he tells us in John 19 that he was an eyewitness, he saw the, the stabbing of Jesus by the Roman soldier with the spear. So there's a couple of places where he says that. But Matthew doesn't, Mark doesn't, Luke doesn't. Wasn't well, there a part in Mark where... Somebody was a, a naked guy was running away, and that's Mark himself. There's an account, a little mention, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark gives us little blurb about how there was a young man present who was wrapped in a, a blanket, and some of the people arresting Jesus tried to seize him, and he slipped out of the blanket and ran away naked. Nothing more said about there. Nobody knows why that little detail is there. And some have speculated that that young man is Mark himself. He was there. He was on the on site. And so he includes that detail that he knew about. And it, it would show that he, he was an eyewitness. He was not one of the apostles, but he was an eyewitness. 
However, we don't know for sure that that's the reason that that was in there. He's certainly not making it clear that this fellow to whom this happened, that this was in fact the writer. And, and certainly you don't have anything in Matthew, you have nothing in Luke. Luke, in fact, tells you flat out that he, he's getting some material from eyewitnesses. Next point that Ferguson makes, education level of the audience. As scholar Feem Perkins explains, Greco-Roman biographies were addressed to a social and literary elite, which may explain why the Gospels addressed to a much broader audience do not match them very closely. <laughs> not every biblical scholar, and this is from the Anna Oxford Annotated Bible, not every biblical scholar buys into the idea that the gospel books are Greco-Roman B.O.I. because of the differences. Next point from, from Ferguson, hagiography versus biography. Rather than read as the unmitigated praise of a saint who can do no wrong, ancient historical works and historical biographies were far more critical of their subjects whom they analyze less one-dimensionally and more as complete persons. Well, I don't know if that's really applicable here, because even if the Gospels were Greco-Roman B.O.I., if G Jesus was perfect, then there's nothing to criticize anyway, yes. even if you wanted to. Yes, in the case of Jesus, he was perfect. He could do no wrong. There's nothing to be critical about. But again, this 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 is a difference. The Gospel writers are not telling the story of Jesus in order to analyze him and just for the sake of telling the story of him, they're written to tell who he was, what he did, so that you can believe. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. <laughs>